Wow, exciting times. I look forward to uh, being able to see those who come rather than uh, looking at an empty room. So we'll be excited about that opportunity. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 18. Uh, last time Levi taught, he alluded to the fact that Jeremiah 18 is um, probably one of my one of my favorite texts of Scripture. So I'm excited about having the opportunity uh, to go ahead and and spend some time in it. Uh, many of you know that uh, I was gone. I went to visit my mother, uh, who uh, had uh, cancer and. Uh, 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 what, what, Alzheimer's. I was like, there, I have it too, because I'm forgetting what she had. And uh, uh, I'm sure many of you know my mom passed on Tuesday. Uh, she's with Jesus now. So thank you for the kind words. Um, my family's doing well. We're okay. Uh, mom's, mom's doing awesome as well. So rather than being caught in that fearful place that we can be in, uh, uh, if you know anybody who has Alzheimer's, and they get stuck in uh, memory or something they think is going on around them. Uh, she has that no longer. So, so we rejoice for mom. Um, we're sorry. We're sorry that uh, that we don't have her, but but it was hard to have her with Alzheimer's anyway. So, uh, so we rejoice that she's healed today and in the arms of Jesus. Um, as we look at our text. This evening, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 18 flows together with three chapters. So I would encourage you, uh, throughout the week, if you're looking for some uh, devotional material, read Jeremiah 18, 19, and 20. Jeremiah 18, 19, and 20 flow together. And if you remember, in our outline of, of Jeremiah, we are talking in this section from chapter 15 to 25. We're, we're seeing an area in Jeremiah's writings where God is providing to Jeremiah explanations about his plans, what God is doing in the hearts of the people. And we enter in now to a section that I call the, the, potter, the potter's parables. There's two potter's parables. We'll look at one tonight. We'll look at one next week. And then we'll see the response of the nation in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 20. In Jeremiah chapter 18, we're going to see uh, the potter working with the clay prior to the clay being fired. Once the clay is fired, it's, it's basically finished. And uh, we'll see next week, when you reach that point, uh, there's no longer time to correct if the pottery is, is a mess at that point, it's thrown away. In Jeremiah chapter 18, the, the clay is still pliable. And I would say that in Jeremiah 18, the, the prophecy given out, the word given out through Jeremiah the prophet, uh, the warning to the people, it kind of mirrors what God's been doing, what God's been saying to the children of Israel. And please try to keep the parallel between Israel and us because it's so apropos, the things that are happening in our nation and the things that are happening in Judah, Judah was turning their back on God. They had had a great history of, of God blessing, of God watching over, just like the United States has had. And the Lord warned the nation for many years while the clay was still pliable and called the people to repentance. Jeremiah chapter 18 is that example. 
It's that illustration of the word of the Lord that had been delivered to the nation that there was time to repent, time to change, time to turn. Jeremiah 19 is the word delivered to the people that there's now no time to repent. The time of judgment has come. Jeremiah chapter 20 is a response against Jeremiah by the people receiving the word of the Lord. So as we look at it tonight, I don't know, I'm not trying to say prophetically, hey, this is where we are in this nation. I always hope that there's opportunity for repentance, opportunity for the people to turn. Certainly in our lives, individually, we always want to be uh, living a life of repentance and confession, calling on the name of the Lord that God might uh, grow us and teach us. And, And I think we'll see that as we look in chapter 18. We'll see that call upon us. And I also know there's a time when God says to the nation, that's it. There's nothing you can do. Judgment is coming. And then there's the response of the people. In each chapter, we'll see that. So I just encourage you, in your, in your devotion in the next couple of weeks, just meditate a little bit on Jeremiah 18, 19, and 20. And see there, the heart of a people crying out uh, in some ways that uh, they, don't, they don't feel like or they don't think that they can repent, that they can turn, that they can change. So I just, I just want to encourage you in that. Let's take a look, Jeremiah 18 tonight. So we have lessons from the potter. Let's look first at the place. A word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah uh, from the Lord, arise, go down to the potter's house, And there I will let you hear my word. So God, again, telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm sure, is struggling with his ministry. If there are those of you out there listening uh, or here tonight that have ever had a ministry, you've struggled in that ministry. You've struggled with what's going on, how is this supposed to work, am I doing what God wants? That's where Jeremiah is. So the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and he says, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And when you get there, I'm going to tell you something. So Jeremiah gathers himself and he goes. And what we understand from this is that we can find the word of the Lord in our regular daily life. This is why having a devotional life is so important. Because if you spend time in the word of God every day, something in your day is going to occur to bring to light the very thing you read that morning. And the word of God challenges us. Jesus, in the life of Jesus, we see Jesus early in the morning withdrawing himself for a time of prayer and prepare his heart for the day. We all need to do that. We all need to do that. And I don't care when you do it. I don't care if you do it at 4 in the morning or 10 in the morning. It doesn't make any difference to me. But before your day starts going off the rails, we want to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Withdraw to a quiet place to pray and seek the word. And you will see the word of the Lord in your regular daily life. The Lord will take you to the potter's house. There will be something that will express the very thing that you've looked at. Verse 3 said, So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. One of the blessings that we see, the illustration, right? The Lord is going to explain it in a moment. But what we see in the illustration, I just want you to really open your eyes. Hear the potter. 
is an example. The scripture lays out for us that, that God is the potter and we are the clay. And the potter is, has his attention on the clay. Sometimes we think that God is so busy doing everything else that he's forgotten us. But the point that God was bringing to Jeremiah as he watched the clay worked on the wheel. There the potter is working on the clay. The clay representing, in this case, the nation of Israel. But it certainly has uh, application to us individually. The potter has his attention on the clay. He knows what he's doing. He recognizes when within the clay there is, there is something that spoils the lump. There's, there's something that's, that's there that's causing it not to work uh, the way that he wants it to work. And so he addresses it. He corrects it. The clay has his complete focus. Do you know tonight, you as clay and God as potter, that, you, that God, you have his undivided attention? One of the beauties of having an omniscient, all-powerful God is that he's able to fulfill that purpose for each and every one of his children. You have his attention. And the other thing that I want you to understand is that every lump of clay in the potter's hands has endless potential. Endless potential. Because the clay has no say. You and I, if it mattered, if we were the ones who, as a lump of clay, made ourselves to be something, I guess we'd have something to boast at. But in reality, the lump of clay doesn't have anything. The ability for the lump of clay to become something depends on who? The potter. And the potter is God. There's endless potential in every lump of clay. And for us to sit at home and say, well, there's nothing I can do, or there's nothing I can say, or there's no way that I can participate in this work of God, the kingdom of God here on this planet Earth, would be to limit the ability of the potter to make the clay any way he wants. We have endless potential. The key is that the clay submits itself to the work of the potter. That we allow God to do what he is doing. Listen, God is interested in you. And I don't even know if you can foil what God is doing. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we, as we go on. But you need to know God's interested in you. God's thoughts are about you. Even the psalmist declared this. In Psalm 139, verse 17, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. The psalmist is saying, man, God, you're, who am I? Who is man that you are mindful of him? And understand, I'm nothing. I'm a lump of clay. I'm a dirt clod in the hands of a, of, a, of a master potter. But his thoughts are toward me. That every part of God's creation matters to him. And that Within that creation, there is woven a connection with one another, with all different parts. And we can see it in our world today. When one part gets out of whack, it affects the other parts, right? We recognize it during this pandemic. We see it in the economic collapse of our, of our nation, the struggles that people are going through. And we look at this particular situation, you know, and I just want to remind you, I, I saw a thing on 
Facebook, and I, I, I won't read it, nor could I quote it, but basically the concept was we're not all in the same boat. We're all going through the same storm. Maybe you've read it as well. We're seeing the same storm, but it's not affecting us all the same way, right? But we're all interwoven. We're interconnected with one another. So that while certain parts of the population are susceptible to the disease and we want to love our neighbor and try to care for them in the way that keeps them safe and secure and try to be responsible and good stewards of the life that God has given us for our neighbor, another neighbor doesn't have the same susceptibility and so we want to love them as well. So loving our neighbor is not exactly the same. It may be good to to quarantine group A, but group B is starving to death. Members of my own family can't even receive uh, uh, unemployment insurance, so they're just sitting at home trying to figure out where the next meal comes from. It's not the same for everyone. But in reality, as a church and as the body of Christ, we have to recognize that we're all interconnected, and there is a way for us to love our neighbor. There's a way for us to find those who who are suffering and not able to feed themselves and help them eat. And there's a way for us to protect those who are susceptible to the disease and keep them safe. There is a way to do it all. Because we have a God who is all-powerful. We have a God who is all-knowing. And he's the potter. And we're the clay. So allow God to make and to mold us. Recognize that that he thinks of us. The psalmist declared in Psalm 139, not only how precious to me are your thoughts, but how vast is the sum of them. So it's not just a, a side thing. Well, God thought of me yesterday, but, but there's 8 billion people on the planet, so he'll think of me again in 8 billion, whatever, minutes, seconds. No, the psalmist says, how great are the sum of your thoughts. In fact, if I could count All of your thoughts of me, God, they would be more than the number of the sand at the sea. Man, that's pretty incredible. We have a potter like this, a potter who loves us. I awake, the psalmist said, and I am still with you. You are still here, God. God is still with us, and the wheel is still spinning. You ever watch a potter's wheel? I always imagine being that lump of clay. It's a little dizzying. Things are spinning. Things are moving. The potter's grunting and groaning and pushing on the clay and working that clay. And I'm sure for the clay, I don't, I don't know for you, I'll speak for myself, it's not always been pleasant what the potter's been doing to the clay. It's not always been pleasant the work that God has been working in my life. But it has always been that which would glorify him and be for my good. For his glory and my good. You see, the word declares this, no matter how fast that wheel's spinning and how out of control it feels, it's not out of control for God is sovereign. The potter knows what he's doing with the clay. He knows the work that he's accomplishing. Romans 8.28, I know people don't like to hear it, but maybe we need to hear it. Romans 8.28 would declare to us, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Everything for my good. There's events in my life that were horrific. Both both things that I did to others and things that others did to me. 
But even in the midst of all those circumstances, the potter was working the clay. He didn't lose it. He didn't fall off the wheel, get kicked underneath the table, and, and the potter go, where'd that lump go? I was just working on that a minute ago. No, God knows. His thoughts are for us. His ways are going to be accomplished. Sometimes we, we can't see the way out, and fear begins to take hold, and we need to remember there's a loving potter working the clay. Nationally, listen, there's a loving potter working the clay, calling the clay to be molded and made into whatever God has purposed for it. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In this pandemic, we all have something that we can provide for the body of Christ. My wife has almost unceasingly made masks this whole time. And anybody who wanted one had nothing more to do than to let us know or come by and pick it up. We made it by the, the, the donations of a variety of different companies, uh, uh, shops that were around Twin who donated materials, and I don't even know how many hundreds of masks she put together. She loves to sew. For each and every one of us, there is a part, there is that interconnection within the body of Christ that enables us to meet the needs that one another are going through. And so the potter making that lump of clay is, uh, is performing his purpose. He's accomplishing his goal. Sometimes when we're spinning on the wheel, we think, you know, there's been a number of times I've looked at my wife and I've said, honey, this is a test. Let's pass it so we don't have to take it again. Because sometimes... We don't get it right the first go around. And we end up going back around the mountain again or back around the wheel again. We want to be able to be clay softened for the use of the master, whatever he has, and trust God. Trust God in what he's making. But this clay that we read about here in these first four verses was spoiled. Something was wrong with it. But listen, the potter didn't throw it away. He just addressed what was wrong. He corrected what was wrong and continued to, to make it as he saw fit. It is his clay. I am his clay. You know, this was something that was really helpful for me as I sat beside my mom and, and I held her hand the very last night that that I left at four in the morning, everybody's asleep, but my mom was awake. And uh, so she was right by the door, and, and I wanted to make sure I had one more chance to say goodbye to mom, and I didn't know if I'd ever get another chance to see her, so I was thankful that she was awake. But she didn't know where she was or what was going on. Most of the time, uh, it seemed like she was caught in a memory that she couldn't escape, uh, something scary, you know. It seemed like there was a lot of tears and, and fear in her eyes, well, at least often in, in, this, in these final days, not always. But as I, was, as I was leaving, she said to me, I want to go home, I want to go home. She reached out her hand to me, so I know she saw me. So I took her hand and I told her, her home's ready. 
Your place has been made ready. The promise of God's word is that he has gone to prepare a place for you. And he will gather you to himself. Mom, your place is ready. And she told me, don't go, don't go. And I'd love to have stayed there with her and and held her hand as my brother was able to until she went to to her father in heaven. But it was time for me to go. So I told her, Mom, I'm going to go, but I'll meet you at your place. See, I know that there will be a time when we will be together. Not like we are here, where though we have this this part that is interwoven, this, this connection that we have with one another, it's marred, it's broken, it's cracked, it's messed up. You ever try to go fix something and make it worse? And then try to fix it again and make it worse? And then try to fix it again and make it worse? It seems like that is the greatest description of this world right now. But there is a day coming when the real king will sit on the throne. When Jesus Christ will return. When all things will be made right. And that experience with my mom, that's what I want. That day when she looks at me and knows who I am. But even greater than that moment, even greater than the moment of my mom recognizing me and and knowing who I am will be the moment when Jesus Christ scoops me in his arms, walks me before his father, and presents me blameless. That'll be the greatest moment of history. That moment. The vessels are spoiled here, but the potter is going to continue to build and make. He doesn't throw the clay away. He's going to accomplish his purpose. Now, as Jeremiah is watching all this and taking all this stuff in, listen to what happens in verse 5. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says, and here's what God says. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Can't I? fix the things that are broken? Can't I remove the things that are spoiling the clay? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. It was God's purpose and plan, the road my mom walked from the beginning of her days to the end. The potter never lost sight of the clay, He never stopped working. He continued to mold and to make and to shape. And he can make of it whatever he pleases. God can make of me whatever he pleases. Because I am his clay. And I trust him. And whether what, I, what he makes of me is something that causes me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I have fear and I'm afraid, I know in whom I have placed my trust. And I am persuaded he is able to keep me. Because he's not making the, play, he's not making the clay for my destruction. He's making the clay for my good and his glory. And I can trust him in that. And I don't have to understand it. I believe. I know God is able to do because he is a sovereign God who knows what he's doing. My job is just simply to surrender to his hands. I have to remind myself all the time, relax, God's working. 
Sometimes the panic starts to set in, and I think, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. And even in this, in these last several weeks, you know, even as trying to figure out the business of church, and what should we do, and, and, and where should we cut what, and how do we take care of the needs of the church, and be good stewards of what God has provided for us, and we kind of run to and fro, every once in a while I have to remind myself, stop. God knows what he's doing. I'm going to trust you, Lord. You lead. You direct, and, and, and I'll do my best to follow you, to follow you in the work that you're doing. I see, God, that you are in control. But also, look at verse 7, and we see the strength of God. It says, if at any time I declared concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. Look, God is able. If God has reached the point where where the greatest blessing for his people is for judgment to come, then God will bring judgment. If it's necessary, it's not because he hates us. It's because he loves us. There were times it was necessary for my parents to correct me, to keep me on the path I needed to be on. And they were not perfect, nor am I perfect as a parent, but I know they loved me. And I know that the correction came from a place of love. Now, I may have frustrated them. I may have made them mad. All those things are possible because we're all crackpots. But the potter, he's able to accomplish his purpose. And if he needs to pluck up, he'll pluck up. If he needs to break down, he'll break down For Our God is able to do. He is able to accomplish his purpose. He is strong enough. I don't have to be. I just have to trust the potter that he's going to work out his purpose. Look at verse 8. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent. If you repent, I will relent. Isn't that a great word? God says, look, I'm prepared to break down. I'm prepared to go as far as I need to go. But as soon as you repent, I stop. As soon as you turn, I'll stop from the disaster that I intended to do to it. God says, 2 Chronicles 7.14, we've said this so many times in the last 10 years that I've been here at Calvary Chapel Buell. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, part one, humble yourself. I think that needs to be on the heading of everybody's page on Facebook. Because everybody has a solution. It cracks me up. I've never seen so many experts in all my life. Experts in what the church should do. Experts in what all pastors should do. Experts in what all people should do. They should just do whatever I say. That's what we all think. We all think that we have it all nailed down. But the Word of God says, if the people who are called by my name will, one, humble themselves. So if you're listening... You don't have the answer. You don't know it all. Just be quiet. Humble yourself before the Lord. First step, humble yourselves. Second step, pray. Humble yourselves. First step should not be to to run your rant on Facebook. First step, humble yourself. Second step, pray. Third step is not to rant on Facebook. Third step, seek my face. 
We want to seek the Lord's face, His countenance, His presence. God is omnipresent. I can seek the presence of the Lord at my house. I can seek the presence of the Lord in the sanctuary of God here at Calvary Chapel Buell. I can seek the presence of the Lord in the parking lot. I can seek the presence of the Lord wherever I'm at. But it requires me to stop seeking whatever else I'm seeking. I love all kind of shiny things. Every time I hear a rumble of a motorcycle go by, I want to go look and see what kind of bike that was or, or you know, whatever your thing is. There's a thing that draws our attention. But here the Lord says, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face. Turn off all that other stuff. For the love of God, turn off the news. You know it's bad. You don't got to watch it every day. Turn it off and seek the face of God. And then, step four, repent. Turn from, listen, listen. Don't pray that everyone else repent. You repent. He says, turn from their wicked ways. The individual people within the nation, turn from your wicked ways. And I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive. And I will heal. So here the word of the Lord comes to, it says to Jeremiah, if the nation, which I'm talking about, turns from its evil, I'll relent. Judgment doesn't come. The clay is still pliable. The potter is still working the clay, calling out for repentance. And if it repents, the Lord says he will relent. But verse 9 goes on, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plan it. And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, I will relent of the good that I had intended to do for it. The blessings of God can come or the cursings of God can come. The Lord stood before the nation of Israel and he put priests on two mountains and one declared the blessing and one declared the cursing. And God said, if you choose right, I will give blessing. And if you choose to rebel, I will give cursing. So set before you this day in the valley of decision, choose life. God calls us to choose Life. If we choose death, we will receive what we've chosen. The road signs are clear. We need to pay attention to those road signs. He goes on now in verse 11, Jeremiah 18. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. So, there's something in the clay. The potter recognizes there's something in the clay, so he's going to do what's necessary to make the clay right. The clay is still pliable. It's not too late. The next part of this verse, what does it say? Return everyone from his evil way. Amend your ways and your deeds. See, this is accomplished in 2 Chronicles 7.14 when we seek his face. When we humble ourselves, when we pray, when we seek his face. Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do? 
As we're, we're people who are watching tonight will be faced with an opportunity on Sunday. You can come to church. You can stay home and watch online. You can go to the parking lot. What does God want you to do? Seek his face. And then do what God is asking of you. Do what God is laying upon your heart. Repent of wandering around in a fear-based reality and just walk in faith. And if the faith, if God is calling you to wear a mask, to put on gloves and stay at home, then do that. Do it. I'm not here to tell you what God's telling you. I'm not here to say, no, that can't be the Lord. The Lord would never tell you that. I'm not going to do I'm not going to do that. You know how many people were around Abraham telling you telling him, you know, God doesn't want you to sacrifice your son. You know how many people were around Joshua saying, no, God doesn't want you to march around the city. He wants you to dig tunnels and, and make ramparts and figure out how to take this wall down. We want to seek his face. We want to seek it. The Lord is saying, I'm shaping disaster. So what can stop it? What will stop the disaster that God is shaping to bring man to his knees? If man would return, every one of them, from his evil ways, amend your ways and your deeds. Put our eyes on him. But what was the response of the people? Look at verse 12. So, so the idea is Jeremiah has been doing this. We're in chapter 18. This is not new. Jeremiah has been calling the people. Verse 12, what is it that the people say? The people say this. This is in vain. We will follow our own plans, and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart? Now, it doesn't matter which way you take this. You can take this verse as the people saying, no matter how much I try, I keep messing up, I keep failing, so it's just nothing works. I can't tell you how many times in almost 30 years of ministry people have told me, you know, I tried the whole Bible thing. It just didn't work. Yeah, uh, sorry, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. The people, whether the people are crying out, I've tried and it doesn't work, I can't accomplish it, or the people are establishing, <coughs> excuse me, their rebellion and saying, no, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Either way, the response is not submitting to God, praying, seeking his face, and repentance. If it's not that, then the future brings judgment. Judgment will come. But we don't have to be afraid of God's judgment. For the Lord has not, he has not brought us to a place where we need to fear the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. Whatever God does to correct, he knows how to establish his people to carry us through. Does that mean you won't get sick? Nope, you may get sick. Does that mean you won't be hungry? Nope, you might be hungry. Well, then what promise does it mean? The promise means that one day, like my mom, no matter how much you've suffered here on this earth, you will see Jesus' face. There will be a day. It might be tomorrow. It might be tonight. There will be a day. Will you be one of those faithful who trust God all the way through. Trust the hands 
of the potter. So what's the reasoning of the people? Look at verse 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations, who has heard the like of this? Now, we've already seen this in Jeremiah chapter 2, a similar uh, description of what's going on. The virgin Israel has done a horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry? The cold flowing streams? Like where in the world do we ever see people stop being who they are? But here, God's people are losing their, their, their stand. They're losing their strength. They're failing because they're letting go of the one thing they need to hold on to most. Verse 15, but my people have forgotten me. The snows, the other day we were, we rode motorcycles out to Pine and the snow still under the rock in the shade. Just like it'll be until the day it melts. It'll always be like that. The snow on the mountaintops, the fresh water springs as the snow melts. It'll always be that way. But God's people were forgetting him. My people have forgotten me. This is the rebellion of God's people. They're making offerings to false gods. They're looking for salvation in a hundred different places and not looking for salvation from him. And these idols, these ideas that people run to, they cause them to stumble in their ways. In the ancient roads, the highway of God, that straight and narrow path, and they begin to walk into side roads, not on the highway. They're not walking the path. They got off track. That's why the book of Proverbs is given, so that we can see the street signs that call us that we're walking the path of the fool. We're walking the the way of death and not the way of life. Where did it start? My people have forgotten me. We get so caught up in things like what's going on right now. It cracks me up. Why is everybody looking to the president to solve this? He's a man like you and me. He don't have some special connection with anything. Neither do the people at at, uh, WHO or the people at the CDC. They're just people like you and me. Stop looking for them to find the silver bullet and save your soul and start looking to the Lord. He will carry you through. But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They stumble in their way. They're not walking the path they ought to walk. So because of the rebellion, because of turning their back on the Lord, then the Lord is going to turn his back on them. Don't you see it? Look at verse 16. Making their land a horror. Now what's making their land a horror? The fact that they have forgotten the Lord. The fact that they have forgotten. They're resisting the potter. The clay is fighting against what the potter is doing. And the potter is way stronger than the clay. So he's going to apply the pressure, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes their head. Oh, how did this happen? How did we get to this place? Just like people shake their head today. Verse 17. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. And I will show them my back, not my face. Now this is the direct opposite of Second Chronicles 7.14. Seek my face, the Lord said. But the Lord said to the people, no, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to scatter you before your enemies. 
I'm gonna, this, this thing is going to hit, it's going to blow, and I'm going to show you my back, not my face. Just like the people turned their back on him. Now this is not tit for tat. This is not God saying, well, you turn your back on me, I'm going to turn my back on you. This is God saying, you're not seeking my face, so I will stop. There will be a point where the potter will bring the clay into submission. So he says, I will turn my back to that lump in the day of their calamity. That's Jeremiah chapter 19. In the day of their calamity, I'm here, the potter's working the clay and calling the clay to repentance and molding and shaping and trying to build what he wants to build, but there will come a point where he will fire that clay and that clay will be marred and it will be thrown into the potter's field where all the broken pieces of pottery go. So what is the pursuit of Jeremiah in verse 18? So then they said, these are the people to whom Jeremiah is sharing this word of the Lord. They don't want to hear it. Oh, who are you to tell me any of these things? They said, come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. And basically they're saying, look, we can't get this guy to shut up. And he keeps telling us we're not repenting, we're not turning, and God's judgment's going to come. So let's just, if we get rid of Jeremiah, we get rid of the word. So let's get rid of Jeremiah. Let's wipe him out. Come let us strike him with the tongue. Let us not pay attention to any of his words. That kind of marks Jeremiah's whole ministry. Calling the people, turn, trust in God. Don't put your trust in all the other things. Don't run to Egypt every time there's a problem. Don't run to Assyria every time there's a problem. Don't run to Babylon as your Savior. Look to the Lord. But the people said, let's shut Jeremiah up. Let's get him to be quiet. Because God uses human vessels to bring forth his word. And as he brings forth his word through human vessels, at some point Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they hated me, they will hate you too. Look at our world. If you stand for the things that the Lord stands for, you will draw the ire of the state. It will happen. Because the state is not submitted to God. But God's people are to be. Trusting God to deliver his people. And standing like Jeremiah. So Jeremiah receives the death threats. And then in chapter, or I'm sorry, in 18 verse 19... Jeremiah lifts his eyes to the Lord. Hear me, O Lord. Listen to the voice of my adversaries. Here's what they are saying. Should good be repaid with evil? Jeremiah is saying, why do they hate me? The only reason anybody stands at the corner of a Planned Parenthood is to try to call people who are in rebellion against God to repent and live. Now, maybe you don't like what they do. Maybe you do. It doesn't really matter. The only reason they're there is to call people to life. 
not death. But they're met with hatred and reviling. Because who are you to tell me what I can or can't do? Who are you to tell me what God wants or doesn't want? And so they're there trying to share the good word. And should the good they're trying to do be repaid with evil? For Jeremiah it says, yet they have dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak for them? Jeremiah said, I stood before God for these people and said, Lord, withhold your judgment. Let me call them to repentance longer. Lord, withhold your judgment. I want to call them. Turn. Come to, come to the Lord. Be saved. There's still time. But they want to kill Jeremiah for it. I stood before you, God, to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Listen to what Jeremiah says in verse 21. Therefore, deliver them up. All right. You're right, God. They don't want to turn. Deliver up their children to famine. Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youth be struck down by the sword in battle. This is what it looks like when God's people won't, when, when the people won't repent, won't turn. There comes a day when the only option is judgment. God will allow you to come to the end of the road you've chosen. If the road you've chosen is the road of death, God will let you get to the end. How do they describe that here? Let their children go to the famine, give them to the power of the sword, their wives to be childless and widowed. And we say, oh, that's horrible language. Why would the Bible have such horrible language for sin? Don't you understand how God sees sin? Jesus Christ died forsaken and alone on a cross for the atonement of man. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave him up. If sin is so horrific that it would cause God to sacrifice his own son for the salvation of those who would receive the gift, why do we want to say it's a little thing? It's not a little thing. Death will come if we choose the path that leads to death. Life will come if we choose the path that leads to life. May a cry be heard from their houses when you bring the plunderer suddenly upon them. Listen, for they have dug a pit. They dug a pit to kill Jeremiah, but rather it will become a snare for them. They dug a pit and laid snares for my feet, yet you, O Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. So don't forgive their iniquity. Don't blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. Jeremiah chapter 18. We have the clay pliable, the call to repentance, the people saying, ah, we can't do it. We're not going to do it. We want to continue in the evil plans of our heart, and that brings judgment. Jeremiah Jeremiah 19, the clay is not pliable anymore. 
the clay is about to go out the window. The progression is simply God's warning to the nations. Look, I will build you up or bring you down. Isn't that what it says in in the book of Daniel? As we close, I just want to remind you of Daniel's vision. Daniel's visions of all the kingdoms of mankind was a statue. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron mixed with clay. Each successive kingdom came to less and less value. Each successive kingdom, each previous kingdom fell. The government of man is not able to stand. It's a rock from the heavens, not cut out with hands, that strikes the kingdom of man at the feet and demolishes the kingdom of man and becomes the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God that will stand. It's man willing to submit himself to God's rule. It's man willing to submit himself to God's purpose. It's man willing to submit himself to God's word that brings about success in the kingdom. It's man's ability to humble himself before a holy God. May our nation hear the call prophetically through the word. And may we repent, turn away from the madness, and turn toward the truth. And may we, God's people, hear the call of God saying, I have a purpose for you to be the lump that I want you to be. Created as a vessel to bring honor and glory to the God of the universe. And may we be the sound of sanity in this time of madness calling a nation to return to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time to you. We thank you for the truth of your word, God. And may we, may we hear the cries of Jeremiah, Lord. Rebellion leads to judgment. May we turn from all rebellion, submit to you, God. May you once again yet bless this nation. But if we won't turn, if we won't repent, then, Lord, may you bring judgment that will accomplish your purpose in this place. And may you be glorified in it. And may we, your vessels, be ready to be used by you. For even in the midst of God's judgment, even in the midst of the, of the chaos that was coming upon the nation of Judah, interwoven was hope. There is a day coming. May we lift our eyes up to the heavens and know from whence our help comes from. And may we live out and walk out our days submitting to our potter as he builds and makes that which he needs us to be to accomplish his purpose. And may the Lord be glorified and magnified in the lives we live out before him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.